Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. Tonight we're talking about reincarnation. Now before I start reincarnation, I just want to get an idea of what your questions on reincarnation are. And I'm going to write them down over here and I'm going to try to answer them throughout the class. I'm assuming that today's class is going to cover just about every question you ask. But just in case not, I want to just make sure I have them. So ask me. What are your questions? Do we keep coming back until we get it right? Do we keep coming back until we get it right? Okay. What else? We come back in different ways, in different bodies. What? Well, obviously, right? Is there a real reincarnation? And what we do in different, different bodies? Is there really reincarnation? <laughs> Is there really reincarnation? Huh? Is there? Okay. Um, Does it exist? And why? Okay. Does anyone have those crazy questions like past life regressions, yeah. tarot cards, psychics? Yeah, it's all what does it say about psychics? Yeah, what, is it, what do they say about psychics? Yeah, well, we'll talk about those. And deja vus and all these things. Deja vus. Yeah, because normally we just don't remember very much from the previous. Yeah, so you don't have any other questions? If we're not, Maybe with the intellectual. If we're not good in this lifetime, am I going to come back as like an <laughs> oh, so are we going to come back as a frog, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Do we come back as humans or do we come back as something else? Okay, so these are all, these are all I'll, I'll address all these. Just want to see if there's anything that, if you don't have any questions outside of tonight's topic. That's good. I'm happy. I tried to, I thought I was going to cover it all. You know what, I'll even get rid of it. I thought I was going to cover it all. I think, I, I think once we start, you'll have some questions. So I want to start tonight by telling you a story. It's a story about Rabbi Dov Ber of Mezrich. He was the foremost student of the Baal Shem Tov, who was the founder of the Hasidic movement. And he was delving into a book on reincarnation. And he comes to his master, his teacher, and he says to him, I really don't understand. I really can't figure out what is the story of reincarnation. So he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to travel to such and such a spot, and I want you to sit there and observe for one day, for 24 hours, and then come back and I'll explain it to you. Do not let anyone see you, just observe. And do not come in contact with the people that you, that you observe. Okay. So he travels to this and this particular town, to this and this spot, and he sits there kind of hidden from view by a cluster of willow trees so that he could observe the scene. A couple hours go by, absolutely nothing. He sits there in meditation. Suddenly, a traveler stops. He sees him undoing his belt, his money bag that's on his belt, and he puts it down on the ground. And he lies down on the ground and goes to sleep. 
He sleeps for a few hours, and then he stands up, and he moves on, forgetting his money belt. A couple hours pass by, and another man comes, lays down in the same exact place, and falls asleep. He wakes up, and he sees the money belt. He takes the money belt, and he leaves. An hour later, a third man comes and lays down in the same place and falls asleep. In the middle of his sleep, the first man comes back and starts pushing him. And he says, where's my money belt? He says, I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, you liar, you thief. Where did you put my money belt? I just left it here a few hours ago. He says, I really never heard, never saw a money belt. And he beats him up. Didn't say it was a nice story. <laughs> is it a true story? This is the story that's told. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. This, this, this is the story. I wasn't there, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can just tell you it's a story. The student finishes his 24 hours, and he comes back to his master, the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says to him, what have you seen? So he told him the entire story about the first person, the second person, the third person, and the fact. He said, I don't understand the scene. He said, let me explain to you. He said, in a past life, person A and person B were business partners. They had a dispute, and they came to the rabbi. And the rabbi heard the dispute, and was about to put... The, the judgment in favor of person B. When person A slipped him a couple gold coins. And suddenly his judgment changed and person A won the case. So he said that this person A and person B had to come back to this world because person A needed to repay person B. And so he did the job. So then he said, what about person C? He was the judge. He was the rabbi. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he beat him up because he made the wrong judgment. <laughs> it's very interesting. So basically, we never know why things happen. That's what you're saying? This story, this story opens up tons of questions. Tons and tons of questions. Let's go back. Is to understand why. Often, when faced with crisis, trauma, or bereavement, we intuitively search for meaning and purpose. Cold realization that we may never fathom circumstance leaves us numb. One avenue in which Kabbalah refreshes our faith is in its presentation of reincarnation and what is called soul migration. Although no overt reference is made in the Torah to the subject, the greatest Kabbalists, notably the Rizal, who wrote a book called Shar HaGilgulim, which is 49 chapters, all on reincarnation. So he says the following. He says, the soul is eternal, a spark of a divine, or as the prophet Job calls it, 
a part of God above. He says the Hebrew, Echelek Eloka Mimal Mamish, that it's a part of God. Literally, we are imbued, we are given a soul from above. And that soul from above is completely pure. It's perfect in every way. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing defected about that soul. And that soul is given to us fresh. And then that soul comes into a body and we start our life. Now, nothing will happen to that soul specifically. It may be tainted while it's here, whether we choose good or we choose the opposite of good. But nothing specifically will happen to that soul that will change it. The soul will forever remain pure, will remain just, will remain perfect. Nothing can change that. Now, the reason why nothing can change it is because it's part of God. And as long as God remains pure, that part of us will always remain pure. The soul exists before it enters the body, and it lives after the body is laid to rest. Though the soul's place of origin is in the higher worlds, there is something that the soul can achieve in a body that it cannot achieve in the heavenly realms. We, there's a big debate in Kabbalah whether the soul wants to come to this world or the soul doesn't want to come to this world. Most Kabbalists will say the soul actually wants to come to this world. It sees what it can accomplish here and it wants to come here to accomplish something it cannot accomplish in heaven. The problem is, is that it's scared. It's kind of like a child trying to ride a two-wheeler for the first time or taking a first step where the child in essence knows that it can take that first step but it's scared because it's never taken that step. So the soul is scared. But at the same time that it, the soul is scared, it still can see what it can accomplish, something that it can accomplish that it cannot accomplish up in heaven. The purpose of creation is to make an abode for the divine in this world. We've spoken about this great many times before, that the entire existence of humanity is to bring God here. Why did God have to come here? Why can't God just be here without us? Because God created a being that has free choice, that can choose to go against everything that God says, to deny that God even exists. So this being that can choose to deny that God exists, when it chooses good, it's so much greater and powerful. And that free choice, we've had many discussions about this, that free choice is real. It's a real free choice that we have every single day. It's not a fake choice. God does not, does, in essence, knows what we're going to choose, but does not affect, does not, um, does, help, does not push us in either direction. We have complete free choice to decide which way we choose. Now, although higher worlds are glorious in terms of revelation, and offer the best reward for a soul after it has achieved its earthly mission, the heavenly realms are not the purpose of creation. It was God's desire to create a world where his presence would be acutely concealed 
and darkness and evil would prevail. He charged his children with the task of creating a home in this world, and the soul fulfills that mission by its adherence to the Torah and the mitzvot. Now, Kabbalah goes a step further than this. Kabbalah explains that the soul is comprised of 613 channels, which parallel 248 limbs and 365 blood vessels in the body, which happens to be that there's also 248 positive commandments in the Torah and 365 negative commandments in the Torah. Now, these 613 channels attain eternal elevation when the 613 mitzvot are fulfilled by the soul in its earthly descent. What's fascinating about reincarnation is that every single soul has a specific purpose here. There's no... There's nothing... There's nothing in our lifetime that another soul has. We have a unique imprint. We're here for a specific reason. No other soul came here before us, will come after us, or is here during our lifetime with the same exact purpose that we have. Now, some, for some people, certain things become, are harder than others. There are some people who, there's, for whatever reason, there's a specific uh, thing that's very hard for them to do. Let's say a mitzvah that's hard for them to do. Or there's, there's a sin, they know they're doing it. They're constantly doing it. I'll give you an example. I mean, I don't know if it's a sin or not a sin. I've never had a desire to smoke a cigarette. Doesn't, just doesn't, doesn't faze me. It's not, my, it's not my thing. I don't know if smoking a cigarette is a sin. I don't want to put it in that category. But let's say it's, we know health-wise it's not the best thing to do. There's a lot of studies that show, I think on the carton itself it says smoking kills. So I think that's enough to say it's probably not a great thing to do. But I've never had a desire. I mean, all my years, just never really cared for it. But there are some people who have had that desire, and they constantly are going back and forth, trying to quit, they're back on, trying to quit again, constantly back and forth and back and forth. So we're going to say that because that particular soul has that desire to smoke, that is part of their soul mission. Because there's a reason why God wants them, why why. God put that desire within their psyche, within their personality. If that is, or and there's, there's thousands of examples we can give to this. We all, there's probably millions, there's probably billions of examples. We all know what that is. We all know what that difficulty is for us. What that, that thing that we're not supposed to do, or that thing that we have a very difficult time doing. Sometimes the things that are easy for us, it's not our sole purpose. It could be that it's important for us to do them, even though they're not our sole purpose. But it's not our unique imprint. It's not the reason why our soul came into this world. Now I'll tell you what's interesting. Most of the time, it's just one thing. Just one purpose. One mission. So it's... There's 613 possibilities, there's only one of them. And every single soul is here to fulfill just one. Which means, 
according to most Kabbalists, the soul comes back 613 times. Each time to fulfill one purpose here. There's a lot of debate around that, but it seems to be that that is the prevalent understanding. Yes? Is it the same purpose? No, each time is a different purpose. So... Come back at least 613 times. Possibly. Possibly. And if we don't do it the first time, we come back, we could possibly come back twice for each thing. Possibly. I mean, we can also fulfill 10 of them in one, in one lifetime, so we don't have to come back 613 uh, times. As soon as you fulfilled it, you don't come back. We don't come back for that purpose. Right. So we can come back for another time? Obviously, we have 605 others. We do keep coming back. We have to. Now, I'm going, to answer, I'm going to answer the big question right now. Do we come back as frogs, as fish, as horses, as ants, if we're punished? Yes. Yes? Yes, if we're punished. It's a punishment to come back as a frog or a fish. The soul will come back into that because... The frog and fish don't have free choice. We don't have the ability to rectify, to, to change. So it ha- it's very rare. It actually almost never happens. The Kabbalists give an example of one in 600 billion it'll happen to. In 600 billion. So the, the, the chances of it happening to our soul is very rare. But the only way it could happen is if... Um, we did something wrong, so wrong that we have, to, we have to get punished beyond what we spoke about last week of those punishments, beyond those punishments. No, no, it could be, no, that's the idea, is that, you know, that maybe the ant lived five days, but it could be that as a punishment, that's all to come back for an ant for five days. Dog and into this family that the dog, the dog is treated better than the, the, the kids. That's it. <laughs> dog, he has a doggy wiggle and a stroller and the little slippers. I know. I see him all the time over here. <laughs> so, so we don't have only one purpose then. I, I thought like we would have a purpose, we serve that purpose. We might, we might take us four lifetimes to get it right, but I thought once we serve that purpose, that's it, we'll move on to the next stage. The Arizal says the following He says that every single soul must fulfill every single precept in thought, speech, and action. Those are his exact words. Every single, which means every mitzvah must be fulfilled in thought, speech, and action. So basically we should, basically we should do it all at once if we can. Well, I, I guess that's the idea of a righteous person, right? A tzaddik would be able to do that all at once. But then again, it's not necessarily true because there are mitzvahs you cannot do today. For example, all the ones that pertain to the temple cannot be fulfilled today. So even we're going to have to say that majority of souls that live today have, did live in the temple period. And they've already performed, and they've already performed those. That, I mean, because of the fact that we're so many generations after that, we have to, it has to be that, 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 that we've come back a number of times. So if we keep coming back, there's no, there's no rest there for us. Not necessarily. Who knows what rest is? We don't know. See, let's understand. We don't really understand what is in the heavens. We can try to guess. We have a little bit of understanding. We have... Most of it is... is, is little. I mean, whatever we're going to talk about here tonight is so minute compared to what is really there, which most of it we don't even know. 
But we, we like to have a glimpse because we like to understand. That's the idea of tonight's class is to have another, a glimpse into, the, into a world that's not uh, ours. They say that the generation of souls that is, exists now is the one that was at the same time as Sinai. So let, let me clarify. Okay. The, the, the Talmud says that the last generation will be the same souls as the first generation. The first generation meaning the generation that left Egypt. I had this thick Passover in there somewhere. The generation that left Egypt and the generation that will be the final generation, which will mean the generation of the Messiah, will be the same generation. So those people who believe that this is the generation of the Messiah have to believe that it's also a reincarnation of the generation of Egypt. What's fascinating about that, before I take your question, is that there's a lot of parallels between our generation and the generation of Egypt. Does anyone know how long did it take for the Jews to leave Egypt? Why, why do we eat matzah again? How long did it, how, why do we eat matzah again? Remind me. Because they were running so fast. So fast. They didn't have enough time to, for the bread to rise. How long does it take bread to rise? Two hours. 18 minutes. Okay. <laughs> So two million people, you're going to you're gonna tell me, two million people were able to leave Egypt in 18 minutes. Oh, less than 18 minutes. So why did they say that then? Oh, I know, this is like destroying the, the yeah, whole Agada. Okay, I'm going to go a step further. Did you know that the Midrash says that in the plague of darkness, God killed all of the Jews who did not want to leave Egypt. The reason why he did so in the plague of darkness is so the Egyptians wouldn't say, ha, you see, he's killing you too, he's not even your God. How many Jews, how many Jews, 10, 15, 30, 100, how many Jews do you think were killed in the plague of darkness? How many? Take a guess, wild guess. How many were there all together? 800, well, percentage. 20%. Wow. 20%. 20%. 20%. 20%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%. 1%.
aspects of the Jewish community, we still do Passover. Everyone's doing Passover, pretty much. Even people who won't even do Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur will do Passover. So that idea of telling the children the story of Passover as if it happened to me has worked. It's a great lesson in, in parenting. I'm sorry, but I didn't really understand why these 80% of Jews were killed during one plague. They did not want to leave. That's why. So they were punished by God. They were punished for not wanting to leave Egypt. I just have one very simple question. I mean, how do you know who wanted to leave and who didn't want to leave? I'm not God. <laughs> <laughs> like they could have changed their mind. They yeah, believe. it's possible. So but they were killed before all the rest of the Jews left. After. I just have one question. Wasn't so it backbreaking labor? What did I miss? Wasn't it the most difficult, terrible? Wasn't it? I, I, that's what I'm asking. What happened? Eighty percent didn't want to leave. So there's something missing here. There's some part of the story we don't understand, and that. Let's talk about what the Jews were like in Egypt. They had the best real estate. Goshen, it was the finest real estate in Egypt. They lived well. They had nice houses. So they were slaves. They had... So they were slaves. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. They had, they had nine to fives. They worked very hard nine to five. But Pharaoh took care, took care of them. They had good food. They had good living conditions. They were slaves. But they had to assimilate. But they worked very hard. Sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. We're slaves to work right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you mean? Yes. But they lived well. They worked hard and they played hard. So when Moses said, I come from God, and God said, let my people go, they're like, where? What are you talking about? Oh, hold on a second. got to sell my house, my car. I've got, I've got a condo in Florida. I've got to sell that one too. I mean, you can't, I can't just leave Egypt. Are you crazy? Imagine, I mean, one of the 13 principles of faith, the, 13, the 13th principle of faith is I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, and if he shall tarry, I shall await his coming every day and be ready for him. So hold on a second. So Messiah comes, knocks on the door right now. We're going to Israel right now. What are you going to say? I'm coming. You're good. What is everyone else going to say? Well, we have to know that it's him. How what is everyone else going to say? Wait a second. Hold on, Mr. Messiah. <laughs> okay, so he proves it's him. Wait a second. I want to make sure I get the best price for my house. <laughs> I want to make sure that I have uh, proper living conditions there. We can't just pick up and go. What do you mean? You've been waiting for me for thousands of years. What do you mean you can't pick up and go? This was exactly what happened in Egypt. When Moses came, most of the Jews thought he was crazy. He was a lunatic. What do you mean? We're not slaves. Fine, we work hard. But we've got good living conditions. Life is good. You want us to go to a desert? You're going to take us into the desert? The world unknown? We have no idea what's going to be there? Here, it's tough, but we know what, what tough is. You know, they say to Moses, so where are we going? I don't know. Wherever God says. Oh, that's going to work great. <laughs> Wherever God says. And what do they do? They complain the whole time. <laughs> They're good Jews. <laughs> They didn't stop complaining. For 40 years, he had to put up with the Mishagas. It didn't stop. So, so, are you saying when Mashiach comes, that we will be reluctant to go? 
I'm just saying maybe we should learn from what happened the last time there was a Messiah. That's all I'm saying. So, just to go back, people who haven't fulfilled their mission, okay, and Mashiach comes, does that mean they get let off? And they don't have to fulfill Because when Mashiach comes, we know... Essentially, Mashiach, the idea of Mashiach means that the world has completed its mission. Right, so collectively. Everybody, collectively. That every soul has completed its so mission. When, when he comes, he, she, whatever, it, it, it means that we, we've all done our... Day. One of the fascinating things about... There's a, there's a lot of fascinating things that we know from the Talmud about Mashiach. I don't want to go into Mashiach now. One, one of them is that there will be no one allowed to convert to Judaism after the times of the Messiah. No one will be allowed to convert. Has anyone... I don't know if you know. I, you probably don't know this. I, as a rabbi, I can tell you, there has not been a time in history that there has been so many people wanting to convert to Judaism. The, the rabbinical courts are flooded... The CRC, the Chicago Rabbinical Council, has a limit of 20 converts a week. 20 converts a week is their limit. They have in their program right now, I believe over 500 converts that are studying. The VOD here has a a program of a couple hundred converts, people that are wanting to convert. I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question why. What I do know is one of the laws of the Messiah is that maybe after the Messiah maybe, comes so what's interesting is the Torah the Torah says Gershnit Geyer a convert that converts not a Gentile that converts but a convert that converts and the, the commentaries say the reason why it says a convert that converts is because the convert's soul was always a Jewish soul it was just dormant so there's an a there's a soul that, there's, a, there's a, an aspect of the soul that drives the convert to Judaism it, it was always a Jewish soul. And when they go to the mikvah and they convert, it actually gets uncovered. Wow. So, uh, and that's from the Torah. That's, that's proven from the Torah. And that lost soul. Yeah, exactly. It's very possible a lot of them were originally Jewish souls. See, now you have to... <laughs> okay, I must have answered some questions. Lots. Okay. Let's... Uh, Let's move on, because so we can divert. Second, what is yeah. it? So when Mashiach comes, is he going to kill everybody who didn't want to go? No, no, no. <laughs> we're all, we're all going to learn from our past mistakes. Do it once, forgiven. Do it twice. So, usually, the second to last paragraph on the first page, usually a soul does not manage to fulfill all the commandments in one descent. And the Ariza writes that every soul must be repeatedly reincarnated until it has fulfilled the 613 mitzvot in thought, speech, and action. Last week, the notion of purification through Gehenna was introduced. We're not going to go there today. I don't want to go into any of the afterlife. I want to talk completely tonight about reincarnation. So here, the soul was cleansed in order to be elevated into Gan Eden. So... How is this concept reconciled with the possibility of reincarnation and the return to our world? So the Kabbalists explain that when a soul returns to this world, the part of the soul that was elevated by its Torah learning and mitzvah performance is not reincarnated. It's already been completed. It's already done its job. So, which means if the soul did two mitzvahs properly in its lifetime, it will come back with 
uh, the reincarnation of 611 mitzvahs, and so on and so on. So it could be that we are just the reincarnation of one mitzvah, that our soul has already completed everything else, and we're coming back just to, just to, to do the final touches, so to speak. Rather... Is that what, one of the possibilities why some people die young? It's they po- have one and they fulfilled it in life? Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. Absolutely, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, it's only the other parts of the soul that were not affected by the first incarnation that return. The possibility of a soul being divided and part of the soul being reincarnated as discussed at length in Kabbalah. The original idea is the following. And I'm going to try to go through in order the idea of reincarnation. The original, the original idea stems from the fact that the soul of Adam was composed of all future souls. And the soul of Jacob was comprised of 70 parts, which will then further subdivide it into the 600,000 souls of Israel. These 600,000 who were at Sinai were then subdivided further into another 600,000, and through various reincarnations, all the parts of the soul are elevated, and once the entire soul has been elevated, the soul is no longer reincarnated. This is the basic notion of reincarnation in Judaism. This explains the strange phenomena of why certain people engage in a specific mitzvah in which they excel, and it could be that a person's soul descended again for the sake of that specific mitzvah. Now, souls may also be reincarnated to complete a certain task, repay a debt, or rectify a sin. In fact, the concept of reincarnation as rectification for sin is well documented by the Kabbalists. And it could be also that a person is put in a specific position or a specific place or a specific time just to rectify something. Now, I want to just pause here and talk a little bit about past life regression because it's a, very, it's a big topic today. Psychics, past life regression... Um, there was someone, I'm surprised she's not here tonight, who actually does it as a profession. And uh, I've had many conversations with her along those lines. This is basically what Judaism believes. Judaism believes that um, God put us here to be here. Which means that, and this is very hard, there is the idea of rectification. But that we we do not pay the price for what's happened in past lifetimes. That has nothing to do with us. It's not fair. Excuse me. It could be that it has what to do with our specific purpose. But it has nothing to do with us. We are not going to suffer because of what our soul did in the past lifetime. Judaism believes wholeheartedly that a soul comes here for a specific purpose. The moment the soul and body meet, at that moment... Everything is complete. Everything is perfect. Everything is pure. There's nothing it carries from a past life. Deja vu does not exist. I mean, it could exist, but it's not. Doesn't exist from a Kabbalistic sense. You know, it, science today uses um, memory to prove reincarnation. Right, the idea of reincarnation and and and, and soul regression. It's proven in science. And they say from memory because people can remember deja vu, they can remember past lifetimes. It's a very nice idea, but it's, it's, it doesn't fit into Judaism. The, reason, the main reason why it doesn't fit is because God gave us everything we need to accomplish 
And a past life regression would be denying God. Essentially. Why? What? Why? Because we're saying that this world, what we have today, is not enough to fulfill our mission. We need to go back. See, the problem is that people associate psychics with holy. There's a certain idea in the world today with that sixth sense. They associate that with holiness. It's not holy, it's a talent. It's a gift, just like anything else. And you can use your gifts for good reasons, and you can use them for not good reasons. And it happens to be that a lot of the mechanisms that many psychics use come from the other side, only because they were never trained how to use those talents from the right side. Someone called me up a couple of months ago who was seeing a psychic and says to me, I don't know what to do. My psychic told me I can't go out today. What do you think I told her? Don't listen to your psychic. Don't go out. (laughs) The psychic said, don't go out, don't go out. (laughs) When we spoke about dreams, it's essentially the same thing. It's as important as you make it. If you believe the psychic, believe it. If you don't believe it, don't believe it. But Judaism sets a very important principle. And that is that in this lifetime, you will have everything you need. Your talents, your ability, your finances, everything you need to fulfill your mission. God will give that to you. Money is not ours. Money is given to us by God. Our talents are not ours. They're given to us as a gift from God. And all these things are given to us in order for us to fulfill our purpose in this world. We don't have to go to a past world. We don't have to go to a future world. We just have to stay right here. How do you know God isn't giving you the psychic also? <laughs> <laughs> what I, God could be giving you the psychic, but it, it, you know, Marlene brought me this, these cards. And they're very nice. If you want to use them as motivational cards, they're not Kabbalah cards. They're just nice motivation. If you want to use the psychic as motivation, happy birthday. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> but you were talking about the psychic who, who tried to go deeply into the past, but what about the psychic who try to foresee your future? It's the same exact story. We don't, we don't need it. It's not necessary. <clears throat> and you know what? It's on the contrary. It's so against Judaism because we have the ability to pave our own way. Right now, at this moment, we can decide any way we'd like to go. It's our free choice. That's a gift that's given to us by God. It's free choice to choose either way we want. So why would I settle for someone who tells me this is my path? That's not fair. That limits me so much. That's not going to help me achieve my potential. My potential is so much greater than this person's idea of what kind of path they're going to set out for me. It's exciting, right, for a moment. This is what it's going to be. But I want to tell you, even if you went to a psychic and your psychic told you this is your future, you can change that completely, completely. That is free choice. If we truly wholeheartedly believe in free choice the way Kabbalah describes it, That's what free choice is. No matter what anyone happens, no matter what is destined for you. You see, there's a big debate between the Greek philosophers and the Jewish philosophers. The Greek philosophers talk about something called fate. 
where the Jewish philosophers talk about destiny. The difference is that fate is a preordained tasks and things that have been preordained for you in your life and you cannot change them. That's your fate. It's your fate that you're, this is what you're going to be, this is when you're going to die, this is what's going to happen. Destiny is the fate, so to speak, that's a direct result of your actions. Which means destiny is not written yet. Destiny will be whatever you choose it to be. And the things that you do in your life Will, con- will directly affect your destiny. Which means we have power over our destiny. Somebody once said that in a movie. Yes? When we reincarnate and come back, do we meet the same people? The same souls? Do we... It's a very good question. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. We say we choose our parents. Maybe if we didn't fulfill the soul, we say, we say we choose our parents, that we come back... Some, some children are born and someone will say, I, I recognize you, you know, as if the soul lived already. Do we know how, how fast we come back or it could be... It could be very quickly. Could be very quickly. It's, it, be... It, it seems to be from most, of the, from most of what I understand is that it's pretty quick. The soul, the soul has a specific purpose that it has to constantly keep coming back. Now you're going to say, oh my gosh, we're never, we're never laid to rest. It's not so true because we don't know what rest really is. And we maybe this again, like like the Talmud says, the soul wants to come into this world because it sees what it can accomplish here. So it understands that while it's in the heaven, it has no free choice. It has to just do the will of God. Where in this world, it has a choice. So the soul wants to connect to this world, wants to be here to try to fulfill its purpose. You had a question? Yes, I was wondering if, the, if at the beginning, at the origin, there were so few souls. 600,000 and there are certain uh, sages that have, that have been spoken about over the centuries as new souls. But majority, I think vast majority of people that are born today are old souls, so to speak. They always say, oh, you're an old soul. But don't you think that it would be more interesting for us to know uh, what were our previous lives? <laughs> you want to know? Because if we were reincarnated, don't you think that it would be... You want to know? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you some an interesting story. You may have heard this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. There was a couple who had been childless for many years, and they came to the Baal Shem Tov, and they asked him for a blessing. And he kept on giving them a blessing for wealth and for prosperity, but never for children. But finally, the woman, after many times of asking for a blessing, said to the Baal Shem Tov, I want a blessing for children. Give me a blessing right now for children. So the Baal Shem Tov gave her a blessing for children. And surely enough, nine months later, she had a, a baby. The baby lived for four months and died. So she comes running back to the Baal Shem Tov, and she said, I don't understand. What kind of cruel joke is this? You gave me a blessing for children, and the child dies. 
So the Baal Shem Tov says the following. I foresaw that you were not supposed to have children. You bugged me so much. You, 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 you persisted so much that I gave you a blessing for children. It happens to be that the soul that was born to you was a righteous soul. It was a tzaddik. But the soul had one flaw. That flaw is that the child's mother, when, the, when, this, when this righteous person was, a, was an infant, the child's mother could not breastfeed. And so the child was given to a wet nurse that wasn't Jewish. And that was the only flaw. So the child had to come back for a couple of months to feed from a Jewish mother. And that was the soul of the child you were given. This is the story. One of the fascinating parts of the Haggadah is the part where it says, Rabbi Elezer ben Azariah says, I am like a man of 70 years old. He was actually 18 years old when he said that. So why is he saying, I am like a man of 70 years old? So the commentaries say that Rabbi Elezer ben Azariah knew that he was the reincarnation of the prophet Samuel. Does anyone know how old the prophet Samuel lived? He was 52. How, what's 52 plus 18? So that's where Rabbi Elezer ben Azariah, at 18 years old, said, I'm like a man of 70 because he was a reincarnation of the prophet Samuel. There's stories like this. If you want, I can, uh, after class, we can look at your soul and we can talk about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah? We, we, can only, we can only speak of what we know. Let's move on. Most fascinating. We're second page, uh, last paragraph of the first column. Most fascinating is the study of soul migration, which is how a soul from a previous generation is reincarnated in a later generation into a specific set of circumstances which are tailored to engineer a rectification of a previous sin. Of the hundreds of examples, we're going to quote from a book called Shari Tshuva, literally The Gates of Repentance, that was written by Rabbi Dov of Lubavitch, a foremost Kabbalist and Hasidic Rebbe. This is what he says. When we take a look at the period in history of the expulsion of the Jews from Spain in 1492, we stand perplexed as to why that generation had the awesome task of deciding between converting or burning at the stake. Why was it that this particular junction of Jewish history, Jews had to endure such horrible torture and exile at the hands of the Inquisition? So this is what Rabbi Dobar answers. He says the following. In the times of the first temple, they served God and did not cast themselves the yoke of heaven, except in certain idolatrous practices for which they had tremendous desire, so much so that there were only 7,000 people that had not succumbed to the Baal worship in the days of Ahab. The, specific, the Baal worship was a specific type of idolatry. I don't want to go into the graphic details of what they did. All the kings who served these idols were great men, and they were tainted with this heinous sin of idolatry. 
All these generations who were most elevated souls did not receive their rectification and elevation until the times of the philosophers and the times of Rashi and the Rambam until the time of the Arizal, which was from the year 1096 in the days of Rashi until the expulsion of Jews from Portugal in the year 1492, until the times of the Arizal in the year 1573. The Arizal explicitly stated at the, that in his time, the period of the destruction that had swept the Jewish world for the last nearly 500 years had ended. All those who had sacrificed their lives in sanctification of God's name in their thousands and tens of thousands in each generation, all of them were souls from the first temple. Their sin was that they had previously served idols that had nourished Klipot, evil, and therefore their rectification was to give up their lives and sanctification of God's name with simple faith which transcended any logic and philosophy. The worship of the Baal was very physical. It turned people, the idea of it was to turn people into animals. That was the idea of that idolatry. So in order that, that these people, what the Arizal said is these people had to give up their physical bodies in order to rectify that sin. That's how great the temptation of, of that idolatry was. Again, I'm just, whether you agree or disagree, I'm just stating what it says. Imagine a soul that entered the heavenly realms in the days of the first temple that had been tainted by the grave of sin of idolatry. The soul would greatly anticipate and appreciate an opportunity to descend once again to rectify its mistake. Any momentary pain involved, including the murderous moment of being burned alive, is worth it to gain eternal elevation. Hence, the soul descended to a body in a later generation for rectification. Now, although the body of the Spanish Jew could not comprehend why he was being taken through this torture, and what was happening was essentially a kindness. It was the key to eternal elevation. In fact, the Kabbalists point out that the Hebrew word for reincarnation, Gilgul, has the same numerical value as the word chesed, kindness. Such presentations, however, have their limitations. Could one explain the Holocaust with reincarnation? The Lubavitch Rebbe was of the opinion that although the concept of reincarnation may be a component in explaining events of the Holocaust, one could not possibly think of such a hideous crime that would warrant such atrocities. It would be arrogant to even suggest a reason for such merciless extermination and brutality. Rather, one must take a humble position that such tragedy is beyond us. In the words of the prophet, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. We have to understand when it comes to the Holocaust, we're not answering that question here and no one should ever answer that question. We constantly keep on asking and asking and asking and no answer is good enough because any answer we give justifies the acts of cruel people. And we, that's not our intention. But for the purpose of our conversation here and the idea of reincarnation, although not all sufferings can be explained by reincarnation, there may be, however be help in explaining tragedies such as deaths of people taken suddenly in accidents, illness or war. It could be that their souls needed to return to this world for a certain amount of time in order to fulfill a certain purpose. And when that purpose had been achieved, the soul could return to its eternal abode 
This may also give comfort to some couples who are devastated by infertility. It could be that a couple has already fulfilled the mitzvah of procreation in a previous incarnation and is therefore not required to have a birth child to fulfill the mitzvah. It must, however, be noted that calculations of reincarnation should never deter one from doing all that is necessary within the parameters of Jewish law to procreate. It's very easy it's very easy to find reasons for all these and use reincarnation as a reason for all of the difficulties and evil in the world. But that, again, is not our place. The purpose of, is to be here and now. The purpose is to live within this world, but stay above it. Not to try to find past worlds and future worlds to try to rectify and understand uh, th- this world. We live in this world. We are given the talents and understandings and abilities within this world. And that's what the main thing is. We can never deviate from that understanding. The hidden matters are for God and the revealed aspects for us and our children. One should walk simply before God and is beyond vision of mere mortals to figure out whose reincarnation one may be. However, in times of challenge and specifically when we feel out of comfort, it is good to know that all has been meticulously planned and executed in the divine kaleidoscope. It's not, it's not an answer. It's not, a, it's not a, a reason. But it certainly helps. And that's maybe what reincarnation is all about. It's here to help us understand that the soul is eternal. The soul is perfect before us, and the soul will be perfect after us. What we do in our lifetime, that's up to us. But the soul will always and constantly remain eternal and remain perfect. Um, Deja vu, as we said before, is highly unlikely. We had, there was another question that I, that I, that I missed. Yes? Um, you've mentioned, I don't know, a few weeks ago, there's another soul, there's three souls. Yes. The intellectual soul, there are really two souls. There's really two souls. The intellectual soul is made up primarily of the animal soul and a bit of the godly soul. But there's really only two souls, the animal soul and the godly soul. I'll tell you something interesting, though. There's a book called Emek HaMelech. I was looking at it this morning. And it says there that Abraham was given a choice if he wanted his children to go to hell or go to exile. I'm not exactly sure what, the, what, what he seems to say, the reason why Abraham was given this choice is because God had to create a counterpart. The world was created as a balance between good and evil. So if there was going to be something extremely good in the world, there had to be a counterpart. So God asked Abraham, would you like the counterpart for goodness to be hell or to be exile? <clears throat> Abraham said exile. Now, Essentially, in the quote, the quote to Emek HaMelech, he said, I will give you a great thing, but in order to earn that great thing, there must be a counterbalance, there must be free choice. To have that free choice, there must be a disadvantage. And so therefore, so what's interesting is Moses, Moses promised at the end of exile that people will do teshuva, people will repent. They'll return. So, when I heard that, 
I have a simple question. How does generation Z rectify generation A? Right? If we're here for a purpose, each one, how can we rectify, let's say, if we're going to follow what the Talmud says, how can we rectify this, the sins of the people who died in Egypt? That 80%. It just seems to, it seems to be clear that a certain number of souls come into this world. And that at the end of the days, all souls will have to be rectified somehow in order for the, there to be completion in this world. If we're going to call this world a world of completion, a world that has been fulfilled its purpose globally, then there has to be a certain level of rectification because there have been issues throughout the generations. It doesn't take a history buff to know that there's been problems. So therefore, there must be a way to rectify those issues within the context of this world. And that's maybe why history is so important to us. Because we do have the ability to learn from the past and not to make those same mistakes today. One of the... Uh, recently, Lincoln was uh, a big topic. I believe uh, it got an Oscar. Yeah. Huh? The actor, the, the actor got it. Awesome. The movie was nominated. So people who know Abraham Lincoln know that he stood behind one quote. Probably the quote of his life, and he had a lot of quotes. This is the quote. I, I looked it up this morning. He says, The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. We must disenthrall ourselves, and then we shall save our people. It's clear to us that we have a choice. We can stand as midgets on the shoulders of giants, or we can stand as midgets. We can choose to carry the past and learn from it, or we can choose to reinvent it and do it over again until maybe one day somebody in future generations will learn from it. But it's clear that we need to do one or the other. We have to see the past as a stepping stone to the future. <coughs> Instead of seeing the future and rebelling against the past. I'm going to leave you with a final comforting word. There's a verse from the book of Samuel. He says, Samuel, this is Samuel 2, 14, 14. For die we must, like water flows on the ground, and that cannot be gathered up again. And God favors not a soul, but he devises means that he that is banished shall not be cast away from him. Citing the closing phrase of this verse as an assurance that no one will be banished from God by his sins will remain banished. Rabbi Zalman writes that every Jew will eventually return to God either in this incarnation or another. That every single soul is perfect. And every soul has a divine spark. And whether 
It takes this lifetime or our next lifetime. The idea of reincarnation gives us a little bit of solace, a little bit of peace, knowing that some people that we wish <coughs> will learn and understand in this lifetime, it may take them another lifetime. And it may even take one after that. But eventually, as Samuel says, no soul will go completely banished. There's no such thing as hell in Judaism. We don't, we don't last in this limbo or this difficult stage forever. Eventually there is a certain level of purification and rectification. Eventually we do complete our task and all the souls go back to a place of truth and a place of goodness.